Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. Hunting boots are a critical component of any successful hunt. Whether walking a short distance to your blind or trudging miles through rugged terrain, your feet are carrying the load. Without the right boots, you could give up early and lose out on that trophy just over the ridge. At Midway USA, we make selecting boots for your next hunt easier. With just a few clicks of a mouse, you can decide on what's important, like waterproofing, insulation, size, width, and savings. For just about everything for shooting, hunting, and the outdoors, check out MidwayUSA.com. At Midway USA, we know the AR-15 is one of the most popular rifles in modern American history. Known for its modularity and widespread use, it's often considered essential to any gun collection. The essential things you need to run an AR-15 are usually always in stock during shortages, things like magazines and 5.56 ammo. Whether you're looking to buy a new AR-15 or buy parts for your modern sporting rifle, log on and for just about everything for the outdoors, shop MidwayUSA.com. Welcome to the Whitetail Legacy Podcast. Tomorrow is opening day. This morning, then I have a great hunt. Deer didn't move like usual. We just got set up in the middle of this bedding thicket. Been saving this spot from the rut. It's a nice, I think it's a nice buck. Boom! It's a 170. That was money. I think it's down right up there. Ten yards. Whitetail Legacy Podcast, bringing you back to the hunt and leaving a legacy. That OG real dream. All right, we got C.D. Coonsy on the line. This guy is dropping studs in Iowa, full of knowledge at a young age, and uh, just super excited to be able to talk to this guy, create a friendship. We're going to go over some stories and some bucks that he has killed throughout the last two years and why he thinks he's successful on these deer. Um, this kid's putting a lot of work in, a lot of time and stand, a lot of uh, land management. So uh hope you guys enjoy. We'll get through our partners real quick. You start with the title sponsor, the VIP Veteran Broadhead. Um, if you guys are at ATA Show, make sure and come by and uh, check us out. We're going to be at the VIP booth with Matt and Cindy um, talking deer hunting, having fun, and uh, telling you guys about this great broadhead. Um, we hope to see you there, um, and uh, we can make connection, get some phone numbers, and share the hunting season together. Get the VIP Veteran Broadhead shout-out. All right, so this week's VIP Veteran Broadhead shout-out. Uh, we had a little mix-up while we were actually recording this, so recording this here post-edit, so it might sound a little different than uh, the rest of the show. Doing this VIP shout-out is something that is very important to Cody and I, and, uh, you know, we want to be sure that we get it right. So we're going to fix it here, and uh, we're going to send it. So this week's VIP Veteran Broadhead shout-out is a little different. Um, it's not necessarily such uh, one person. Uh, this week we have a group of guys that are running a page called American Veteran Outdoors. 
If you guys haven't heard, uh, this, there's an eight-year-old boy named Jace. He was involved in a vehicle accident, leaving him paralyzed from the waist down. He is from Arkansas, and uh, he had all his hunting gear stolen, and uh, these guys at American Veterans Outdoors want to provide him an opportunity to have the same resources as we all do to get out there and uh, hunt and enjoy God's creation. So they have set up a GoFundMe page for Jace <clears throat> on uh, Facebook. So be sure to give them guys a like there at American Veteran Outdoors, and uh, they got a link there for the GoFundMe page for Jace. So uh, that's... Um, one of the guys that's on that is David Cagle. Uh, we had him as a VIP shout out earlier. So, uh, we can't thank David and all his friends for, uh, setting that up and doing that. I'm going to get into ECW calls. Um, he put a post out a while back where it started with a block of wood and then ended up with a call. Mm. I was like, man, that was sweet when you go through the processes of how he actually does it, how much work he's putting in. I mean, they're starting out with a block of wood. That just blows me away that it's all one piece hand, you know, handmade. So by a veteran. So when you look at something, you think, well, that's a couple pieces put together. That's a, that's a block of wood. He's glued the different pieces together and then milled it down to put it on the lathe and just spent, you know, a few hours. Getting it perfect. Yep. So, uh, get into scent lock. We're kind of everywhere with scent lock right now. You know. Yeah. We we picked up this flower. Um, kind of reading here and there on it. So, this week we're gonna hit on where do odors come from? Uh, there's three pillars of odor. There's bacterial, metabolic, and ambient. Uh, bacterial odors come from. Bacteria on your skin as produced as a byproduct by metabolizing as the nutrients they receive from your body in order to sustain life. I think you should just start with one. That was a lot. Wow. One at a time. Wow. There's a lot of big words in that one. Yeah. So. Break it down. Bacterial. They're produced by bacteria on your skin as a byproduct by metabolizing. Man, dude, that word is killing me. Metabolizing the nutrients they receive from your body in order to sustain life. So they live on your skin. Wow. So that spray that you're putting on, the the washing, you're killing the bacteria so, on yep. on your skin to you get rid to, of the odor. You need to start with showering. You need to hit the field spray and the and there's different. And there's different sets of field spray. There's the field spray, the antibacterial, and the... Microbial. Microbial. So the preventable... The preventable odor and the bacterial killing odor or spray. It gets complex when you yeah. break it down like that. We're trying to get next level on you guys, but yeah. <laughs> it's just going to take a minute for us to get it out to you. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Uh, talk about Ingram's outdoor obsession. Um, if you guys got a buck laying around that you shot this year or last year and um, he's just sitting out in the garage and you just want to get a Euro mount done, $100 for a beetle work top of the line european mount um and you can really showcase that buck and uh i mean real clean work real nice get him inside and let you tell the story for 100 bucks i think that's worth it all day all right guys we hope you enjoy cd's episode um i really did i'm excited to follow this guy and see what he does in the future um he's already got some stellar bucks down so i can only uh Imagine what what the future has in store for him. So, hope you guys enjoy. 
All right, we got C.D. Kunze on the line. Uh, you're from Iowa, right? Yes. That's right. That's, that's There's always the Iowa-Illinois debate. We're a couple of Illinois boys. <laughs> but by your wall, it looks like there's a lot more big deer in Iowa. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> <laughs> We're going to go with that for now. There's definitely some good ones here. <laughs> All right, so uh, where, do, where do you exactly live in, in Iowa? I live right around Corden right now. That's where I've grown up my whole life. Um, I originally lived on a farm with my parents and grandparents down close to the Missouri border, and then we moved up around Corden when we when I was about ten. So I've lived here ever since. Went to school up here, but yeah. Nice. How how old are you? I'm 22 right now. Man, yeah, I knew you're young. That's why I want to get you on because you got some. Your young age, you got some skill for sure. You've been putting down some giants. So, so how <laughs> how long have you been hunting? Since about since I was thirteen, uh, my dad got me into it, and we that first year I we just went out and sat and I shot a doe. I wasn't even looking to shoot a buck, just to shoot a deer and have fun. And then that next year, I went out with my dad and my uncle, I ended up shooting a. I was honestly just going out to shoot the first nice buck I saw, and it happened to be a 160-inch deer for my first buck. So, oh wow, <laughs> kind of got spoiled. But I, to be honest, I didn't even know what I shot. I, I didn't even watch outdoor shows or have Facebook or know what a giant deer was then. It, and then people started that came over and scored it, and then I realize now that it was a pretty nice one, but. <laughs> <laughs> yeah right yeah <laughs> yeah so yeah that was how i shot my first buck and then the next year when i was i would have been 14 that next year i got into bow hunting and shot a 100 inch eight point it's that but i was just looking to shoot a, the first thing that came by and it got my blood pumping that's pretty much what really like started my passion for the outdoors was bow hunting that's what I'd choose that over gun hunting any day. So, yeah, something about getting them close. Sometimes it takes a gun yeah, to be able to get a, it done, but yeah. I, I just, you can't miss out on that that time of the year when gun season is, you know. And yeah, and now in Illinois, you can take a bow, but you're like, man, do I, do I want to have yeah. that extra fifty yards? You know what I mean? So, yeah, don't get me wrong, gun hunting is an extreme adrenaline rush too but there's nothing like bow hunting getting them up close with a big mature whitetail it's second to none really i I just like how you said there you know even though you did shoot a 160 as your first buck you know you you still got a bow in your hand and the deer got you pumped up and fired up and you know you let it rip and even though it was a 100 inch eight you know you still yeah you weren't going for a 160 with the bow yeah right it didn't matter i was i was just like I never shot a deer with my bow. I was like, I'm I'm gonna shoot the first thing that comes out. It wasn't even about inches then. And honestly, for the about the next three years, it even wasn't. I was just I shot a handful of 130s. I shot a 135 inch eight, then shot a 145 inch ten with a couple kickers. And that next year after that, I I kind of started getting to knowing people through in high school and talking to a few guys and I that's when I start really started shed hunting 
and I, I had found a couple sheds off deer I'd seen during the year and I saw them the next year. I was like, holy cow. I mean, they can grow this much. And I started reading magazines and watching shows. And that's really when the managing kind of started. I started like being really careful and just picking up on things as time went on. And that's, that's truly what's led up to this point. Is your, uh, is your dad a big buck hunter or is he in your uncle or how do they hunt? Uh, not really. My dad, he goes with me and, but he's, he's usually busy, really busy with farming right now. He didn't get to go out much, but I think we're going to go out late muzzleloader. Nice. But yeah, he just pretty much got me into the sport and it, everything was self-taught. I, I've hunted by myself for pretty much every year since these last couple of years have been doing a little filming and everything. But. Yeah. It's always fun to save those memories on, on film so you can look back and see the stuff yeah. that didn't happen and maybe figure out why it didn't happen and yeah, for sure. And enjoy the, the successes. So have you hunted the same property for, you know, multiple years? Yes, I have. I have a few properties that I've hunted probably for, I'd say, four to five years. And those are the best ones. I, <laughs> I mean, you just learn, like, your hours put on stand is what kills big deer. You just truly learn how they move naturally and you pick up you just like literally learn what a deer how they act and in, in their natural environment so has it been consistently the same stands that you've been successful in or has it been kind of <laughs> sporadic no i'd say my most successes came from uh failure <laughs> i mean honestly like i don't know how many times i'd go in and which I would encourage everybody to do this. I would go in to set a stand to literally just like overlook the property with a good wind. Not, I mean, set it in a good spot to where you can kill the deer, but just to kind of pick up on what he's doing coming out of his bedding area and really seeing where most of the deer are coming from and just try and locate that buck. And that's, that's truly what's led up to the most success. Cause I'll, do that and then if i i can spot that deer i'll just take the stand down and just do a hanging hunt the next day or whenever i can hunt again with the right wind yeah yeah i've i've noticed that in my area i think that i should be doing that because i feel like i got my good stands but every year the movement's a little bit different you know so i think i should move but we do we do hunt a lot of observation sets and homie gets on me all the time because i'm too safe I'm I'm way too safe of a hunter, <laughs> he says. So uh, I don't get aggressive enough, but that's just kind of my style. But I like to hunt those observation stands, maybe get a shot, and then when I feel like I can really get it done, go on there for the kill. So it sounds like me and you yeah. kind of doing the the same thing. Yeah, for sure. And like people say, a hunt smarter, not harder. Like to a point, I mean, you definitely have to. There's so much work that goes into being successful during the season but yeah like if when i'm going to hunt a stand i'll i just think it over like is this truly like the best 
scenario for this spot. Like, I don't even want to educate this deer. I don't even want to know knowing I'm in there. So if the wind's like iffy, there's been a couple times where the wind has been on the edge of an area where you could be going through. I'd hunted a couple times and it's paid off, but most of the time I like being more safe than anything because it seems like once you educate those mature deer once, I mean, your chances, they'll come around that area and they'll know something. They'll just be looking in that area. Yeah. So they just go nocturnal as hell, and yeah, then it's even the harder to kill part. them. So. Just, yeah, makes it not not possible. Yeah, I just I just know from my experience, you know, just like you said, you you got maybe one. If you're lucky, two uh, cracks out a big big mature one. You know, five and a half plus, and uh, after that, man, it's it's over. Yeah, I've, I've actually got a funny story on. It's actually on my biggest deer. I, me and the neighbor hunted him the whole year and uh, saw him quite a few times during bow season, put in probably close to 30 sits. And a lot of them were all day just trying to kill this deer. And it came to the late season when caught up with him and we were walking in and the neighbor, we sat like, probably 70 yards apart and that buck actually came out onto my property and went out into his field and I watched him shoot at the deer and he I mean we I I helped him track and he ended up missing the deer at 150 yards well I I went and I just pretty much relocated to where he came and we hunted for the next three days straight didn't even see the deer well until that third day he came back right and he did the same exact thing and i ended up shooting him at like 30 yards on a trail going out to his bean field but that just goes to show how i mean a deer won't come back i mean he didn't come back for three days yeah even if it's his core area and he feels area. comfortable he's like you know, something ain't right. I just got shot at. Then people yeah. were tracking me. So mm-hmm. even though I yeah. want to be there. Yeah, I, <laughs> so I kind of got lucky on that deer, that drop time I shot. So, but you just learn over time what works best. And <laughs> you pick up on a lot of things from trial and error, <laughs> from hunting hard. And I mean, I, I don't care to admit it, but I've wounded it. In my early, um, well, I think I was around 15 or 16. I mean, we're spoiled out here. Before 2010, it used to be really good, and I I wounded two deer over 170 with a bow just from lack of experience because I, I um, had one coming in, and I didn't think to draw back in time, and it, it spooked, and I hit him in the shoulder. And then another one was... He was out there about close to 40 yards, and I I didn't think to aim low right below the heart to where he dropped down, and I hit him high, lost that deer. So, I mean, I've learned a lot of things over the years from just messing up on deer. Oh, yeah, we've all been there. Yeah. Homie hit a giant in yeah. the shoulder a couple of years ago. I shot high on a giant two years ago. So that's just stuff that... Yeah, it you happens to everybody. Just put in your back pocket. You're like, I'm not going to do that again. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. 
And I mean, really, yeah, yeah. that that that's what really makes us a better hunter. I mean, it sucks to say that because oh, you know yeah. a deer's out there wounded, yeah. and you, you're just hoping it makes it. You know, but I mean that that is really the stuff that makes us a better hunter. And like you said, I mean, you're only 15, 16 years old. I mean, I was a little older than that when I when I had my experience, and you know, Cody, even that. So you just gotta yeah it, just gotta keep those at the front of your memory when when it comes down to that moment again yeah and it definitely pushes you to work harder during the off season so when you have that opportunity you don't want to mess it up again yeah capitalize on that exactly i mean this year i mean i shot my buck or i shot a buck that i hit in the shoulder uh, two years ago and then last year I bought a new bow literally right before season started and then um, I shot a buck and lost him but I found him later um, wasn't an immediate recovery and then um, so of course you know me being the person that I am this summer all I did was shoot my bow I shot my bow probably four times as much as I ever shot my bow and uh, just because I knew the last two years uh, I had scenarios play out that didn't have an outcome in my favor and I wanted to correct that. And I, I shot my bow literally every chance that I got. Yeah. And, and honestly, that's what it takes. I mean, if you want to, if you truly want to be successful every year, you got to put in the work. I mean, it, it's a whole nother level when it comes to capitalizing on big mature deer i mean it's a whole different ball game really because <laughs> there's a lot of good deer out here you can i mean if you have a good property you can shoot a 150 inch deer every year you're going to have that pro- opportunity out here in iowa obviously some states it's that's a big deer to them but that's also why people come here and even to illinois i mean there's giant deer over there too so yep few and far between so stay over there in <laughs> iowa man <laughs> yeah. no. uh so uh, you, you guys used to be better than iowa back in the day but <laughs> yeah that one buck man you one bucked it and just yep. blew up but. I, I would say i would say you'd have a good shot at a 140 pretty much anywhere yeah you're at, i feel you like know? if you hunt hard and you can bump around i've shot 140 on public so i mean you it's it can yeah. be done yeah you know what I mean? So, but you kind of went over your drop time buck, but so it'd be last season. How many inches did you put down on, on the ground last season? I, between the three deer, uh, it was over 510 inches. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. So uh, let's just kind of go over that. What, uh, I mean, that's insane to me. Uh, one thing is that you just kept driving so hard to hunt. You know, you can just really, it really shows that you really love this, you know, and you just got, just like us, I, you know, I shot a giant and I'm out there like, I'll just shoot a doe now because you just want to hunt, you know I mean? You love it. So kind of go over each uh, buck and maybe tell the story and then maybe tell why you think you're successful on each one. So I'm going to, I, I hunted that wide deer I ended up shooting for, I mean, I hunted him, and I had tons of cameras over on the north end of my farm. And the deer just, I truly think this deer lived on, 
I think his core area was maybe 10 to 15 acres. I had seven cameras all along that north end, and he was on one camera the whole season, even during the rut and everything. And every and, – well, I guess on one day he went through a another camera, and it was at night. I mean, the deer just wouldn't move during the day, clear up until middle of November. That's when I started getting pictures of daylight. And it got, I mean, I was hunting him. I was like, when the wind's right, I'll, maybe he'll show in daylight. But it just got to the point I was like, I honestly don't think this deer's moving in daylight. I don't think I'm going to kill him. <laughs> and so I, I went to my uncle's farm that I'd been hunting since I was a, really young. And I ended up shooting that one that was 165. Just a really mature deer. He was a, he was a tank. Um, I was happy with him. And I had um standing beans left on my farm and the deer wiping them out so i was like do i get the landowner's bow tag for the remainder of the bow season or do i buy a first shotgun season tag and i decided to get the gun tag site he really wasn't daylighting that much i mean once every five to six days he he'd been coming and hitting a scrape and it was never in daylight he was never coming to the fields during daylight so i made the right decision by buying a first shotgun tag for landowners and i ended up killing him sat there for four nights and he finally came out with about 20 minutes of light left and just stood there i mean my heart was pounding out of my chest he was at under 40 yards for over five minutes when he jumped the fence out into my field and he was standing behind a hedge tree facing straight on. And I'd actually, there wasn't a good spot for a blind. So I just brushed myself in a, because I didn't want to educate the deer because he was coming out in a wide open spot. So I just built a, a blind of brush and I just nested myself into it with the gun rest and the muzzle loader. And he, there was probably close to 30 deer out in the beans. And he just sat there watching them moving around, facing me straight on. And I just, it just kept on getting kind of closer to towards dark. I, there was maybe 15 minutes of shooting light left. And I was like, I've got to do something. This deer's not going to even move or take a step. And he didn't have a clue I was there. So I just slowly took the muzzleloader off the rest because he was right in line with the tree or behind it. And I slid over on my butt about a foot to the left. And I finally could see his front sh left shoulder. And I was like, all right, I'm just going to drive the bullet right through his left shoulder at an angle. It should hit his heart and his lungs if it's right on the money. And I freaking I shot and the smoke went up and I couldn't hear anything. <laughs> the deer were running out of the field and I, I never, I never heard him crashing or anything. It was just went quiet. And so I wasn't sure if I hit him or not or what happened. And so I got up and I just kind of walked. I, I waited for probably half an hour, just sat there just thinking about it. If I did the right thing and I mean, cause it's don't really get an opportunity like that. And I got up and I found one speck of blood just over this little speck of blood. And I was like, 
I don't even know if I hit the steer good or what. And I was kind of panicking. And um, I was like, well, he had to have went about like 40 yards and jumped across the fence. I'll just, if he did go over back onto the neighbors, I'll just kind of walk down this fence line. If he's dead, he should be like laying down there. And I didn't go 40 yards and he was just laying there dead. He didn't. I double. I pretty much just center punched his lung, and it went through his heart. I th- so nice. Yeah, I've heard that, that a lot with muzzleloaders is that they don't bleed a lot when you hit them. But I've never killed no. a buck with a muzzleloader before. Yeah, even in snow. I mean, some shots you just find specks of, but then there's sometimes they really bleed good. I mean, they've come out with new sabots. It was expandable, like, um, they'll really, you really get good blood trails with those Barnes bullets. I really like those. Had really good success with those over the years. Well, how so, big, how big was that, that deer end up going? It's 186 gross as a typical, and I had a guy come score him. He, um, netted one, 173 and six eighths net boone nice so that's a giant the, man yeah he's so wide the, man his inside <laughs> spread is 27 and 180 <laughs> yeah yeah insane it looks sick yeah, yeah. this looks like a. they don't come I mean, around like that very no, often <laughs> no a lot of main beam on him a lot of main beam <laughs> yeah so yeah his main beams were both over 28 wow yeah if he had time length he'd have been a just a stud. Yeah, you say that about every deer. I said I, I said that about my deer. I'm like, if he only had, he had time length, he'd have been there. But he was there. You know what I mean? But yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. And then your third buck. So was that? What was that? It was a like a like a low 160s. It it was just a mature deer that I had. He was coming to a field, and I I've been watching him all year. I mean, on camera and everything, and he just was just a cool deer, had a lot of character, and just a bunch of sticker points coming off his bases, and I, I mean, I was happy to shoot him. It was oh, a yeah. good one to get off the farm. Man, I, a 160, I'd be happy to shoot any day of the week. Yeah. <laughs> Sign yeah, me yeah, up. Don't get me wrong. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, out I'll of all th- the 160s, mature deer any year, but I, kind of to getting to the point where if like if they're a, a deer that because it's pretty common for a 160 inch deer to be a four-year-old in iowa to where you want to, them to get to that five-year-old range because i mean it's not just to see they what they're doing on 30 to 40 inches in a year i mean i one of my good friends his dad shot a 223 with his bow and the deer at as a three-year-old, they have all the sheds off the farm. And as a three-year-old, this deer was 164 and they passed him. And then he blew up to 223 the next year. Wow. Yeah. The buck I shot last year was a little over 30, 31 inches he put on. So they can do it, man. It's just, it's insane how much they can blow up. Letting them go. Yeah, for For sure. sure. So out all three of those bucks, I mean, I know uh, they were kind of on different properties and stuff, but if you could hone down just a couple, you know, reason you think that you were successful on them, was it just past history or was it trail cams or? Uh, 
I'm I'm like getting big to the point where I'll just let the cameras do the work for the most like a lot of the scouting. I mean, I'll still scout like with field glasses and stuff, but on scrapes and trails, just learning what they're doing and because the cameras don't lie, they'll they're not gonna miss much and they'll tell you when deer are daylighting and that's that's honestly I mean that's a big reason that a lot of people are successful on big deer because the cameras have done most of the work. Oh yeah. On my deer, more. on my deer, we knew where this deer was, you know? So we had a really good idea yeah. where he was and we had a really good idea how he was using my property on a Northwest, how he was using on a Southwest without them cameras. I mean, it had been just, well, I, mean, I don't, without even diving into the next level, you know, looking at the times, looking at the dates, going into plugging it in, yeah, seeing what the weather was, seeing seeing what he's doing, you know. Without that, we don't know any of that. Yeah, so if you didn't have cameras, I think a lot of less people would kill big deer because they wouldn't even know they were on yeah, the farm, you know sure. what I mean? Mm-hmm. Yeah, and as far as cameras go, I, I've kind of learned over even just hunting that deer, but any farm in general, like, you need to have cameras on every area of the farm just because you don't have cameras on like this 30 acres doesn't mean there's not a giant deer. I mean, cause you could have cameras on the 40 acres on one side and there could be a, a deer that just lives over on that side of the farm. You're not even getting pictures of them over there. Like yeah, some we... deer just use the one location. They don't want to move. We blast the cameras, man. <laughs> We're not hunting huge pieces, <laughs> yeah. and we got cameras all over it. We don't want to miss anything. Yeah, yeah. So that's our bread yeah, and butter, man. Yeah. So when you do a trail cam pull, are you pulling all your cams at once? Are you only pulling ones you have good access to? Are you pulling ones that the wind allows you to get to? What's your typical trail cam pull look like? Yeah, if I, I unless I have to, I. I won't go in and pull cameras unless the wind's right. And when I, with all the cards, I actually, that actually played into me killing this deer because I noticed this buck, the farm laid north and south. Or, I mean, he was coming south on out of that ditch. And I noticed a lot of the times he was coming to the field was on a south wind when he could just smell the whole field. And so that actually led up to me going clear to the opposite side of the farm because I could have shot him where I was, but my wind was blowing into the ditch where all the deer were coming from. And so um, I went clear to the opposite side on the other side of the ditch he was coming up out of and let my wind blow right past him where he was bedding, but I knew he wouldn't come up where I was sitting. So that's, that's what got me safe on killing him. So yeah, it's definitely worth paying attention to what wins they move on. Do you expect a 170 every pull? <laughs> <laughs> uh, no. On, I, I don't know. I, at the beginning of the season, I, I'm, there's a good chance I'm going to have, a couple 170s by the time mid to late October rolls around. But anymore in velvet, I had a 190-inch deer show up and right out of Hardhorn, and I got really good pictures of him. 
I was so pumped up, and then the deer just disappeared. I didn't get another picture of him the rest of the year. Wow. So, I mean, deer like that, I'm to the point where I don't get my hopes up till about the, I mean, obviously, if you can get a good cold front, you can hunt them early and have a good chance. But middle of October rolls around, mid to about the 20th, if the deer's still around, there's a good chance they're going to stick around, not move out of the area. Yeah, that's what we that's what we yeah. think, too. If you get them mid-October, then they're pretty much there. Yeah, that's pretty much their home for the fall. I mean, they're going to be there at one point or another. So. Do you do you find the deer that were there early, you know, that you would lose, uh, do you find them coming back in the winter at all? Yeah, that's actually... I mean, the buck that I'm hunting right now, I got pictures of him, and just about the middle of September when they're riding hard horn, and he's a, I think he's low 170s. He's got like a couple kickers off his G2, and he just now showed up the end of November, got pictures of him in daylight, so... I actually went out opening night and I saw him over on the neighbor's bean field about three quarters of a mile away. So just waiting for him to come back through. <clears throat> so we'll, we'll see what happens there. But yeah, that's the, there's just a lot of deer that will show up and they won't return. I know I've talked to a lot of guys. They have these bucks that they'll just come back in the late season every year. That's just what they do. Yeah. I got one that's never there until late December and then Boomy's there and he's 100% nocturnal and he's unkillable. And he's got to be a five or six-year-old right now. And he's probably yeah, but, 150. But. Yeah, it's like, oh, hey, the gun season's over. I'm going to show back up. Yeah. It's crazy how smart they are and they always know where they're going. So. Yeah. Oh, yeah, and I got sheds off him. So at least I get to find his sheds maybe this year. So that's what <laughs> yeah, I look forward to. Sick. <laughs> that's what I look forward to. Yeah, is just, yeah, he's for back, sure. so maybe find his sheds. But So it seems like on your property – I mean, you have a lot of mature deer there. So how, what are some tips to be to keep the mature deer on your property and you're hunting and you're running trail cams? What what are you doing to be able to keep those mature deer in like a 15-acre area like you're saying? Uh, to be honest, food. Um, it's, food is everything. I mean, yeah, you can... We do a lot of off-season work in the last couple of years. My good friend and I have done a lot of hinge cutting to where we've um, created a lot of thick bedding areas, and that's definitely helped. But if you don't – and even water, if, if you don't have the food, the deer just aren't going to stay there. I mean, that's what truly keeps them on your property, and like year-round to where they don't want to venture out and leave and go – two miles away to the next food source of a late season that's i mean it i've seen, there's been a couple bucks that when it got cold i've seen them two or three miles away down the road in a neighboring just in a bean field or a cornfield because it got so cold there they're just relying on their stomachs to make it so yeah that's what we need on our north piece mm-hmm. there's bucks there all summer uh what we think is probably a five-year-old and uh he was there the rut and then now he's just gone there's food all around feed there's fields all around but we there's not a lot of food so i think if we put the food plots in 
next year, make them big enough to support the deer herd, then be able to hold some late season there. Yeah, I've never heard that. A lot yeah, of people say, like, uh, pressure and stuff, but food, that makes mm-hmm. a lot of sense. They're slaves to their stomachs. So if you don't yeah, have the food, then they're going to be searching around. Yeah, and don't get me wrong, pressure. You go into an area and keep going in there, I'm sure Buck's not going to tolerate it, and he's definitely going to leave. But food's what keeps them coming back. I mean, they'll, there's been... I know people have went in and just like farming and they push deer out all the time and those deer just keep coming back because of the food. So, and cover too, that keeps them there. Yeah. A lot of hinge cutting. That's, that's key. I think Yeah. if I could ever, that, if I could ever own a piece of property, that would be one of the first steps that I would do is hinge cut some oh, areas. Yeah. yeah. It'll turn a farm around. I mean, you have open oak timbers and, just those little trees that are in between the big trees you start just laying those over and keeping that green growth that those deer love it I mean, oh yeah that's what the deer are keying in on right now around us is that it'll low browse it'll keep more ma- mature bucks on that farm because i you'll be lucky if you can just on a small piece if you can get say two to three i don't even know but maybe two big mature bucks, not even having to be big, but mature bucks that'll want to stay around each other the whole season. They don't, they don't really like it. They like dominating their area. So. Yeah, we had that. We had a couple show up early, but then after that, the cameras were pretty much just one or two giant, the giant eight and Mr. Freeze. It was pretty much the only thing that we were getting. We were getting like some yeah. flyers that come through at night, but uh, that was about it really. Mm-hmm. Yeah, especially when the deer's a bully. You can have a crappy genetic bully buck that keeps big deer off the farm. I mean, those are the ones that need shot the most, honestly. Yeah. I kind of like those weird-looking, you know, 100-inch bucks that got stuff yeah. going on all over the place. <laughs> Just kicking everyone's ass yeah. everywhere. Yeah. So you you own, you own some land, right? Is that correct? Or you, you did? I actually, I, I, yeah, and I sold it this summer. I'm... I'm going to be buying a new property here soon that I'm looking into. So, yeah. So you kind of went over it, but if you, so you're buying a property and maybe it wasn't holding the kind of deer that you wanted. Uh, you said hinge cutting and food. Would there be anything else that you think that you would add to that scenario to maybe draw some, some mature deer to that area? Yeah, you can. I mean, I definitely plan on a, like if I was to keep it to go in and do tree planting through the through the CRP program and then uh, native grasses like the prairie, tall prairie grasses, they really like that. And just going in and planting cedars, even I mean they love that cover. Just creating more timber on the farm, not even timber, but just like cedar cover. That's about the best. You'll have the quickest growth out of that. Yeah, that's like our new piece. It's all grass and cedar and creek draws. So it's got big yeah, bucks rode all over it, but it's... Yeah, I'd, I'd rather have that than, I mean, timber, unless you can get the really good stuff to hinge cut. Yeah, we got we got a piece that is big open timber like that. And even by our video, Homie's got some awesome video this year. They just avoid that open stuff. They yeah. don't like going in it. They're looked down there, see if there's any does. If you'd had a decoy that night... 
it'd have been over. Yeah, yeah. it came right down there. But yeah. they just don't like. Yeah, they don't like that they open don't really timber. Really care to bed in it. Not at all. And then you know I got eight minutes of film of a shooter eight point. I mean, one thirty five, one forty. Yeah. Literally for eight minutes, just standing in the same spot, a fifteen by fifteen foot. Yeah, those big deer, they just don't, they don't move a lot, man. Did People not think move. they move a yeah. lot. They get up out of the bed and they're just on the move. But this deer is just. And then at the end of the, you know, the segment or you know the end of the clip, the only reason he moved is because the one sixty came through. <laughs> yeah, yeah, a giant come and bumped him off, and he he kind of bumped away. Yeah. So I mean, them deer aren't just up and running around. There's mm. a, like, like you said, yeah. CD. There's always a purpose, and there's always thought into what they're doing. Oh yeah, it's crazy. Like you watch over a CRP field, and you you see does coming, and all of a sudden you just look over, and they caught their scent from the estrus, and that's what made them stand up in the field, and that's what makes them come to the field. I mean. Or that they just notice the doe and they're like going to check it out. But if it, those does wouldn't have came in, I most of the time they probably won't even get up. Yeah. So. Yeah, I think, and I was telling homie this. I think the like the bigger the the older the deer, I think the less cruising they do. You know, you see like a lot of three and four year olds really cruising, but I think the older deer know where the does yeah. are. They just go there and wait for them. Yeah. <laughs> right. You know? It's like knowing where the good I bar is at. You just go there and you chill until they show up, you know? <laughs> <laughs> <So>. <laughs> I have noticed that it seems like um, those really, like once the deer gets to about like six and a half or seven and a half, they do become more daylight active. And they're, they are super smart still, but... I think that five-year-old range is the hardest point to kill a, a big deer. I really do. Uh, yeah, they're kind of in their prime there. They know their ground. Yeah. They're, they're probably top of the breeding herd, you know. They're, they, they're moving, but they just don't move as much in daylight until they get start getting really old. And that's when they don't become dumb in any way. But you do have a better chance to kill them. I, even just going over pictures, those older class deer will move more what is the oldest deer you think you've you've killed probably that drop time mm-hmm. we have the set from the year before i have a picture of him as a five-year-old he was just a i mean just a nice 10 point that was he had to have been from the sheds the neighbor had the other years of sheds that he gave to me off of him and we think he was seven and a half years old. He had to bend. That's cool, man. So, yeah. You get one that old. I'm not sure I've seen yeah, the picture of the sheds. I, I know I've seen the seen the buck. Um, did he look like he was close to even dro- throwing a drop? Uh, he actually, I actually thought he was going to grow. The one side he grew the drop off of, it didn't look, because on his other side off the shed, there's a bigger like a point it's not even a scoreable point but there's a nub sticking down off the beam and it looked like he was going to grow more of a drop on that side but he grew that five inch drop off the other side the next year yeah and that's sick yeah it is (laughs) that thing had it all man yeah yeah i mean it's just a yeah i mean i couldn't ask for a just a true giant really (laughs) yeah for sure so do you think he peaked at seven then 
Yeah, his sheds from the year before, they're, they scored right at 175. Man, that's crazy. And he grew up to 192 that next year. And I don't think he would have grew much more. His mass is incredible. Uh, the mass on the one side of the beams over seven inches just on the on the it'd be the fourth circumference by the drop time yeah wow that's crazy so uh let's let's get in i know you want to touch on something about this year's the buck that you were chasing this year so uh you don't have to go into detail what he looks like if you don't want to but go just kind of give us you know what what he was and then maybe uh go into how you were hunting him and then, you know, go into how you made a mistake. Yeah. If I could sum up, like, honestly, like in one word, this bow season, I mean, I, I know I shot a, I shot a good deer off that same piece, but it was, it was disappointing. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. But the deer I was hunting was, over 200 inches and I was actually hunting another deer and this was just a mistake I had scouted this farm just that piece where the 200 incher showed up it was on less than 30 acres and I had scouted that farm I had the stand hung I had the cameras in there but I was hunting this other deer that the neighbor actually shot him a few days ago with a muzzleloader and uh, he went around, he was right around 174 inches, just a big 10 point. And I, was, I hunted him on November 7th and about, I saw the deer and then I never saw him hunt it, set all day sits from like the fifth till the, then on the 10th, I, I didn't have a right wind for that spot. And I was just like, well, I'll just go to this this farm over here. It it's a good rut spot. I'll just go sit and see what I can see. I didn't even check the cards. And I wasn't even thinking anything would happen. I mean, there might be a big one in there. And so I'm sitting there and it's getting about thirty minutes before dark and I saw a doe up there and I saw a, a buck. I couldn't really tell what it was. And it was on the edge of this this field and I just kind of lightly grunted at him and here he comes off that doe. I couldn't even believe it. Like he was watching the doe and he starts coming right to me. And as he starts getting closer, I couldn't even believe my eyes. Like I was like, that's the biggest deer I've ever seen in my life. Like I've talked to a guy and I showed him pictures and he thinks he's more around 220 inches. And I I honestly couldn't believe it. The deer just kept coming and my heart was, I was like shaking so bad and I, I got to full draw. He comes to 35 yards and he's just facing me just straight on full body. And I didn't know what to do. I was like, I can't shoot this deer in the neck. I, I mean, obviously I'm, I'm not going to ruin this opportunity. I mean, I could definitely see this deer over the next course of a couple of weeks. So I, I was just waiting for him. I'm just at full draw for what seemed like a couple minutes. It might, it was probably a lot less than that. And he finally, instead of turning straight sideways, he, he literally just like looks backwards and he does a full 180 and just goes right back after that doe. I couldn't even get a shot at him. And so I was like, it got dark and I was like, I just sat there. I was like, 
in disbelief that that big of a deer was on less than 30 acres. And so I, I get down and I go check the cards and on the seventh and on the ninth, that deer walked right past my stand in daylight, 20 yards. I mean, it was kind of heartbreaking, <laughs> but I, he showed up on the sixth. I, I didn't even think that there was going to be another deer bigger than what I was hunting show up. I was just sitting all day sits and, but yeah, I ended up seeing that deer five times, uh, then shot that one. It was my last day to hunt, shot that 160 Thanksgiving morning. But yeah, it, it was definitely a lesson learned on that. I'm still trying to, I still have a bunch of cameras running in there to see if that deer will come through there, but it's pretty much a ghost town in there now. Cause it was just a really good rut spot. But yeah, yeah. that was, we got the same situation. Crazy. We knew there was a giant somewhere, but he was hundred percent nocturnal. <laughs> we threw all our, well, I won't say the same, but same situation. Cause it wasn't a 200, <laughs> but anyways, we threw all our, all our marbles in one area. You know, we're both hunting this small piece of property, not even pulling cams on the other one, not even looking. And for about eight days, there's bucks in daylight, just nonstop, you know, and one in the one seventies, you know? So, Mm -hmm. I mean, it's just like, you're like, just like that, you, that's an awesome tip. You know, even though you're chasing a giant that you think you're not going to get anywhere else, you still need to be in the back of your mind saying, okay, I need to be checking these other cards. I need to be doing this. You know, you never know what, and that's, you know, that's why I told homie, I said, this thing is going to be rut money. And homie's like, I, he was, he was doubting me hardcore, <laughs> but I got lucky yeah. and it ended up being right. So, but could change next year. With you that never one know. you shot? Oh no. Yeah. We were, we were banking it all on him. We had, we knew he was there. We had a really good idea where he was at. So me and homie were both hunting the same property, trying to kill that deer. Yeah. And, uh, how big did that deer end up going? 192. Boone and Crockett, yeah. That's yeah. a giant. Oh, yeah. Super mass. That's yeah, crazy. super mass. Seven. He had uh, those inside points were 18 inches, 24 beams. I mean, he's he's a he's a giant. The mass is what, yeah. what carried me, man. Where those inside kickers grew yeah. out, he grew that web, and you get like seven and a half on the second <laughs> mass measurement that's not even on the base. Yeah. That's helping you a lot, you know what I mean? So. Yeah, that's a great deer. Yeah, yeah. me and homie were all focused on him and then we have a 170s in the daylight out you know and just where he had to cover the whole property because he ain't going north he went through it and then came right back through so any stand you would have set you would have seen that deer yeah and then we had maybe three other mature deer one with a little drop tying kicker thing one real big eight a couple just real old mature deer that you get were probably in the 140s but just daylight 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 morning evening midday just non-stop and we're focusing all yeah. down there you know when we should have been up there so you know we, we had all these deer on cam during the rut but before the rut we had the homebody bucks you know there and we picked one up early in velvet and he stayed around and then you know we could we we're just kind of going back and forth we're like okay yeah he's definitely three and a half um, you know, but he's on the radar and then, you know, the rut comes and then all these other bucks that we got on trail cam come from nowhere. You can you know? tell that they're four and a half yeah. and, and plus. Yeah. So it's definitely yeah. a good spot and it's just, we learned something just like you, yep. man. If yep. you got all your marbles in one spot, 
you might want to look at that other spot and say, I mean, it worked out in, in my favor this year. I'm glad I did it, but yeah, if sure. I wouldn't have, if I would have been hunting there and not seeing anything, and then I'd have pulled them cams, I'd have been like, oh man, I should have been here, you know? Yeah. So. Yeah, I mean, I never thought a world class whitetail would show up. I mean, definitely the biggest deer I've ever had on camera. But you just learn, you just learn over time. I, I mean, I'm not complaining. I know how fortunate we are to live in good areas, so definitely blessed down here and but yeah you just have fun and learn over time went through trial and error and hunt smart and just pick up tips from constantly trying to learn things from magazines and the f- famous hunters mark just picking up little from here and there don't don't ever key in on one thing just always learn little from everybody i mean that's Yep. always learning yeah for sure so man i I mean i know you've been super successful you live in a awesome place but i mean you you got the ground but you're also putting a ton of work in your hinge cutting you're planting the feed plot and you're putting a ton of time and staying man so you're earning them deer i mean a lot of people will look at it and they're like well he lives in iowa or well you know he's got badass property but you're making the property happen and you're hunting you know, all day sets, a ton of hours. So you're making it happen, man. That's why I wanted to have you on. You're a, a normal guy that not a lot of people know that are putting down stud deer at a young age. So, I mean, you got it going on. I'm excited to see what you do in the future, and I'll be following you on social media and and seeing what you got going yeah, on. I'd like to I'd like to touch on I actually had an accident with the tree stand going after that. 200 i it was kind of crazy how it happened my my buddy and i were sitting there and we um this deer kept on using this corner so we like let's just take these stands down and move them over to that corner it was like midday and we're we get over there and we got the one stand up my we're pulling the other stand up. My bow's on the ground. We hear something, and it it just sounds like a I can't even describe it. Like it, it was just like the biggest roar I've ever heard. And here comes a doe, and this buck that I mean, another mid one seventies to one hundred and eighty inch typical was coming through this piece on that thirty acres and. And we're just in disbelief. Like we didn't even couldn't even believe what we were seeing. And this deer was coming close. The the doe came within 50 yards of the stand. Didn't couldn't call to him or anything. The bow was on the ground. So that was that was just a whole disappointment. And but stuff like that's going to happen. And so we got the stand hung and uh, didn't that buck just left the area chasing that doe. He was coming through that area just that day. And, um, yeah, that, that 200 actually ended up going through that spot, right? Where my other stand or I'd moved oh, dang. that stand from, <laughs> yeah, I walked right by it. And I just could, I just, just a lack of patience. And so did that other, that, that 180, Actually, it came back too, right, right by that stand, and that just goes to. Sh- I mean, so that's how my injury happened. I was so frustrated. I was like, I can't, like, I can't win. Like, I'm freaking. So I was, a, I was just like, screw it. I'm 
moving it back to that tree. That's the spot. I just need to put in my time and that's what's going to kill that deer. So I was, I got the one stand down and I, I always use a harness in my, up in the tree stand, but I didn't have a lifeline on the stand. I was climbing down and with the stand in my one arm, just, I was frustrated. I was just trying to be in a hurry and I was climbing down the climbing stick and about 15 feet up and one of the caps on the end of the climbing stick popped out and my hand slipped and I, I fell and I landed right on my back and I honestly didn't know what was happened. I, I couldn't breathe for like 10 seconds. It knocked the wind out of me so bad. And I just laid there. I was like, am I okay? I mean, I've heard of this happening. Like, I don't even know what to do. I, I was just kind of in my shoulder just kept on hurting. I didn't know what happened. And so, uh, I finally, I could start catching my breath again. I was like, okay, I'm not like paralyzed or anything. Cause it, it freaked me out. Like I was like, Oh yeah. I, I mean, it was honestly like, it, it opened my eyes because, um, my buddy and I, we've, we're just young and fit. We can, we could throw stands up quick and, but yeah, from now on, it, it definitely made me realize that I need to have lifelines and, and just be safe all the time because it's not a matter of like, you spend so much time out there. It's not a matter of if it, it's just when it will, if you're not safe, cause it, it's going to happen. I mean, you have ice and mud and all kinds, you're going to slip and fall if you're not careful. Yeah. So yeah, that's yeah, a good it, point, man. I've had, I've had some yeah, close calls and I got it. Me, I was just talking about homie that I got, we got to get some kind of system next year. So we always wear a harness in the tree, but, and I, I finally got one of those, uh, slings like lime and rope, lime and rope yep. when I'm hanging stands. That's a game changer. Hanging stands is so much oh, faster. Yeah. I did what five or six packing hunts on public mm-hmm. this year. And I use that every time. And man, it's just a cakewalk yeah, compared you can, to, you can lean back and just both hands you can ratchet the stand and be done instantly like yeah and it's safe yeah and they're it's not very expensive must. man so i was like yeah. i don't know why i've hadn't had this forever but we me and homie were talking we got to get some kind of lifeline system especially on the stands that you know we're walking in and hunting in the dark and stuff and or stuff. Yeah, you know I you're mean, gonna hunt eight nine ten times yeah. the whole year yeah because set most of our hang-ons like over 20 feet they're like around 20 22 feet up a, a good good height toward another deer you can get away with moving around and get in position especially with filming and stuff you need that so yeah lifelines are a big deal i mean for hang-ons for sure yeah all right man anything else you want to cover um have you had any luck with filming? What's that? Have you had any luck with filming? Oh, I'm not super serious about it. Uh, we we pretty much do it for fun at this point. It takes a lot of time, and it can cost you dear if you get... I don't know if I'll ever be to the point where I'm not going to shoot a huge deer because it's not getting on film. Yeah, I mean, I'm not I'm there. Like <laughs> no. Yeah, if... I, I just honestly, it it takes the fun out of it if it comes to that point. I don't know if I ever want to get to that point. So. Yeah. Yep. I I 
I don't know if I've, I've told Cody this, but, you know, I've, I've told myself plenty of times, you know, if it comes down to me shooting, a, you know, a 160, 170 or getting it on film, I don't care at what point it is, yeah. I'm I'm shooting the deer. Yeah, for sure. Well, you seen what yeah, I did this I, year. More. <laughs> I just, luckily, I had a guy in the stand with me, and I just turned it on, focused it, and said, do your best you can when I <laughs> shot my giant. <laughs> so if I wouldn't have had a guy with me, Nothing, no film at all. So Nothing. just lucked out yeah. that he was with me, and I, I turned it on. We were just filming another buck, and I just flipped it over to him and said, hey, do the best you can. <laughs> I'm going to focus on this <laughs> moment right here, you know? Yeah. So. Yeah. All right, man. Yeah. Well, we appreciate you coming on. I think we got some good intel out of you. I think if we could have you on for a whole shed episode, too, because you are just crushing the sheds out there in Iowa, man. Yeah, that's a – I mean, that's a whole nother – I'm huge into shed hunting and that, that actually, that I guess I didn't even, that plays a huge part into the success too. I mean, I, that drop time buck I shot, I found his sheds 40 yards away from where I ended up shooting him. I mean, Oh wow. And that really, yeah. It, even with other deer, you just, you just learn like how they travel and where they're bedding the most and just really pick up on, how that area works so and and i do most of my scouting during shed season honestly i'll i i just pay attention to all the rubs and you can even see old scrapes pay attention to where the which side of the trees the rubs are on to see like which direction the bucks are heading yeah going up slopes and you can really pick up on more than just in the season like pretty much during shed season. So. Oh yeah, I some places I don't touch till shed season. So, and then yeah. I just go in there and scout it and figure it out. But uh, do you get? Do you have yeah, a? Pretty great. Do you want to shout out your Facebook or do you have an Instagram or anything where people could check out your bucks and follow you? I don't have like I mean just my profile, but I don't have like a actual profile for it. All right, I didn't. But know. yeah, see if you look up my name, CD Kunzi on. You, I have all my pictures of them and stuff on there. Yeah, it's pretty it's pretty badass to look through, click through the pics. So, all right, man, we appreciate you coming on. Um, uh, keep 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 me updated on this this other buck you're chasing. Yeah. So. Yeah, we'll see what happens. I'm I still have that giant in the back of my that 200. I'm gonna I'm actually going to try and get permission on the neighbors. To, tomorrow so there you go we'll see put in the work man i know you got it yeah so if anybody can get it down on the ground it's you i know that that that's for sure yeah sometimes it all comes together just thankful when it does so yeah all right guys that was cd um very successful hunter at a young age putting in the work enjoying the grind and getting it done um pretty pretty uh continuously so props to him can't thank him enough for coming on and uh especially sharing that last little bit there with us about the safety you know that's something that i've stepped up my game on this year and uh, i think that's something that cody and i are going to even um step up our game on next year and uh, we'll cover that here in a couple episodes uh just as a heads up next week's podcast will be released on thursday as we're headed down to ATA, so we're going to be recording that in my truck on the way down there, and uh, we're going to send it out probably Thursday evening and uh, give you guys a pre-ATA what we think the show's going to be about. So 
kind of interested to see how that one's going to turn out because I'm a stickler on quality. So um, get out there, make some memories, have some fun, leave a legacy, and Whitetail Legacy is out. Spend your Saturdays with life on the water. Join Captain Brandon Simmons for fishing, diving, travel, and so much more. You want to succeed. You want to fish. You want to be one of the greatest. Oh, look at that thing, dude. Wow. Oh. <laughs> Let's see what kind of trouble we can get into today. Don't miss Life on the Water every Saturday night from 7 to 9 p.m. Eastern on Waypoint TV. <laughs> the destination for outdoor entertainment. You want to succeed, you want to fish, you want to be one of the greatest. <laughs> Tune in to West Marine's Life on the Water, presented by Costa Custom Boats, every Saturday night from 7 to 9 p.m. Eastern on Waypoint TV. You'd think, with four of us spread out on a tiny island, that the task of tagging a whitetail would not be a big thing. But, as I've learned, no matter where I've been, whitetails can be damn tricky. Pursuing wild game in wild places. Tune in to Hunt Stand Presents Saturdays at 8.30 p.m. Eastern. Waypoint TV, the destination for outdoor entertainment.